remember things. It's more than just void, darkness, unconsciousness. The mind does work clearer. Images, patterns, things to recollect. It's not just the long, deep sleep that comes when the fear has left. The cold is felt, the slipping away of feeling is noted and then succumbed to. The mind functions. Time is distorted, jumbled, telescoped, accordion, but there is a sense of time even so. And I remember things. I remember the way it began. I remember the way it was in the it was in the it was in the it was in the beginning. Daddy, I think he's lost his mind. He's never been like this before. Tonight he was almost crazy. What did he say? Oh, crazy things that he's some kind of a of a spaceman and that they're taking over the earth and that we're all going to die. Better get Mentally disturbed. Well, it's very safe to keep on my part. Don't listen to me. They told me to keep in mind the scientific And what do we know about our data? Better give him some help. Don't listen to me. It's one of us. He's with the advanced unit. What kind of advancement, son? Don't fight them, son. It'll only make it more difficult for all of us. Hey, everybody. Uh, so it's October, no, September, September, September 15th, September 15th, 2022, um, and I am your host, Michael O'Toole. Hello, it is going to be, uh, it's either going to be episode 110 or I think 111 uh, of Experimentally Ill, my podcast where I talk to um, artists and uh, entertainers and uh, my friends here in the New England area. Um, and you can check us out on experimentalil.com and you can find it on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. And I'm here with my friends and uh, a guy who um, co-hosted and co-produced some of the earlier episodes of Experimental Eel. From... <laughs> Please do not wa- listen to those. Yeah, do not, do not. Yeah, I really recommend you don't. But uh, yeah, hey folks, I'm Lawrence Hawley. Hey. Hi. Uh, I'm Michael Tool's friend. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I just I came from uh, a couple of days ago. I uh, just came from a memorial service at the arts at the armory in Somerville, Mass, for for our friend Mick Cusimano, who was on um, some earlier episodes of uh, the podcast, and he was a great uh, surrealist poet, cartoonist, and filmmaker, um, and a writer, and people who follow the New England uh, film uh, media industry would know him from Imagine Magazine. He had a comic strip in Imagine called Imagination, uh, where he did um, cartoons about the local film scene and actually had uh, drew us as cartoons about 10 or 11 or 12 years ago. Yeah, I think, yeah, something like 10, 11, 12 years ago or something. Because uh, uh, myself and Lawrence were in uh, some of his movies, like Don't Spill the Eggs, and which is, I think, one of the more surrealist uh, movies he ever made, he was saying at the time. And uh, Monkey Do, Monkey Don't was the other one. And, uh, 
yeah, I just it came from that uh, memorial service, um, which was for Mick and a few, a couple of other artists in the scene, and I was just, and I was, you know, plugging some of those earlier um, podcast episodes that you should definitely check out, uh, where I interviewed uh, Mick Cusimano, the professor of surrealism, uh, and, you know, here in his own words, his uh, life story and everything, but I just, I wanted to just kind of get it out of my system and check in with Lawrence, too. I got, they let me on, I was, I was up, um, in front of everybody, kind of gave a little bit of a speech and read one of Mick's poems, Early Morning Blues, and I was mentioning, um, Lawrence, because that was sort of the entryway into the Mick world, as it used to, when I was hanging out with you, when working at the Brookline Cable Access Station, and Mick Cusimano would come in there to submit his cartoons and have them screened, and so I was talking about Lawrence, and I figured, like, it would be a cool uh, thing to have us back doing the podcast and do a little talk a little bit more about Mick and stuff. So, yeah. So. So here we are, folks. I think for just to bring people up to speed, because mm-hmm. not everyone is coming at this. Unfortunately, hearing the old episodes, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend you should. Yeah, but if you um, haven't, some really yeah. good interviews with Nick. But but for the for the for the for those who are green with the whole Cusimano scene, Nick Cusimano was not only our dear friend, but an artist, a filmmaker, and poet who resided in Cambridge, kind of the periphery, the border, but of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Somerville, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I. I don't really know much about his early life. I can only, I can only bring folks up to speed with what we know. And what we do know is that Mick was very active in the poetry, the poetry scene as far back as like the late sixties. Just to, just to, just to bring people, just to let people know, Mick, I know this makes for great podcasting. But Mick died, Mick just passed away, he was 71 years old, so, you know, if we're looking at the late 60s, he's in, he's in his 20s, and uh, he, you know, he's a, what would you say, what would you call it, bohemian, sort of, you travel around, get involved in these different poetry scenes, hippie scenes, and then throughout the 70s, he starts settling into this, uh, what would you call it, like surreal poetry, right? Yeah, he he talked about like discovering um, surrealism. Like he got like a book on surrealism, and I mean he was like a product of yeah. sort of the the beat generation, right? The beat poets and sort of uh, yeah, and, you, you know, know Carol. Let me interrupt you, Mike. It's like you're right. Like he's more of a beatnik than a hippie. Yeah, uh, or I like there's I look I think like that's a an important distinction. Yeah, outlaw outlaw poetry. Um, yeah, he, he's less he's less Timothy Leary and more like uh, what Albert Camus or. Uh, but Timothy guy, Leary uh, was definitely like yeah. a signpost. I mean, he talked about you can see on Cusimano's uh, website M Cusiman, so it's like Cusimano without the O M Cusiman He has a lot of his uh, yeah. writings and stuff and travelogues and stuff. One of the. Uh, cool things that I liked is he talks about, he went to a, um, 
uh, what do you call it, like a beat, I guess like a beat uh, poet kind of conference where they saw, he saw like Timothy Leary speak, and that was the one where he saw Hunter S. Thompson on stage. Hunter S. Thompson started smoking a bong on stage. And uh, and then he, after yeah. the show, he was able to give uh, Thompson, right before he got mobbed with people, he was able to give him uh, a copy of his uh, magazine he used to, uh, published himself called Underground Surrealist Magazine, and that's where Mick would put in like his own, I think, writing and poetry, and definitely uh, his cartoons and stuff, and would get other people from all all over the place. I think internationally, like they would, um, you know, submit to this magazine that I found out at least for a year was um, was uh, distributed in all of um, Tower Records, which. Um, you know, that's a relic, I guess, itself now, but it was distributed to all the Tower Records th throughout the U.S., I guess. So he talked about, yeah, he said in, by the by the 80s and 90s, um, he was part of the zine revolution, you know, where people were just making these little magazines of their own. And I guess, like, maybe in the back of the magazines, it, they would have, uh, you know, ways to submit to, like, the other ones, you know. So that was kind of like a social networking kind of thing before, you know, uh, social media, right, as we know it, you know, online. I was, I was like, I was like, how do you find, like, these people and how do you find this this stuff? But, yeah, definitely, like, a guy into the counterculture and those are the kind of people I like to meet and, and talk to and uh, we were lucky enough to, to be in some of those, some of his, um, so I want to say earlier movies, but he had been making movies a few a, a, few, a few years, you know, before before just, he met just, us. Just, mm -hmm. just to dial back a little mm -hmm. bit, like let's go to the because I remember I was doing I was doing a, I want to do even another podcast where it's even more of a deep dive. But I was yeah. when, around the time of Mick's passing. I did. I just I did like a, I was did like a Mick Kusumano Mick Kusumano archaeological information <laughs> dig. Yeah, and I came up with uh, I, I found like some some photos of him of Mick in New York in like 1984 mm -hmm. and he was hanging out with what appeared to be his predecessor his predecessor's the one that went before you right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> his predecessor's the one before you or after you DL's gonna say how yeah. stupid I am <laughs> before <laughs> like, pre well yeah the, the mix makes uh, yeah the progenitor comes after predecessors before pre pro right you can cut this out <laughs> you can cut this, but but you get what i'm saying right we i found like what seems to be mixed prototype in a poet a new york poet named are you out of it you know about this guy uh you know, i heard about him um i mean yeah mick was from um buffalo new york and then at, at some yeah. point uh I think it's like '86. He came to Boston, where we where were uh, originally. But yeah, are you out of it? I knew are you out of it because I heard about him from um, uh, the. I know he was a member of the Fires of Prometheus, which was this uh, troupe of poets that Mick was part of, that was led by. Uh, I think it was led by Billy Barnum, who was a poet. Um, who was older, you know, 20 or 30 years older than Mick, and he was, I guess, is somehow um, related to uh, P.T. Barnum. Uh, 
and I guess the Barnum and Bailey these circus guys. guys. Like, just interrupt. Mm -hmm. These guys were, in other words, in context, are you out of it in Barnum? Those guys were like what Mick is to us. Yeah, it's that it is true. He was he was like the he was like the rookie guy, like the newbie guy, and he would he came across them and that's when he in my interview in his words yeah. he said if the if these guys can write if these knuckleheads can write poetry i can write poetry so it's, he was i remember what he said he was like he would do the he would do cartoons and somehow they saw the cartoons and so he first did a um he did a few flyers for their poetry shows and um yeah. and then and then he would like go to the shows and see the poetry and then just said if if they can write poetry, I can write poetry. So he started to, uh, he's, so he started to do his thing, and and yeah, um, eventually was um, part of that group, Fire of Prometheus, which was yeah, like Billy Barnum, Are You Out of It, and then there, um, and then there was like a woman, Zantara or Zantara, which I'm trying to. If anybody hears this and they know of any of these guys who are still around, yeah, any of these are uh, ringing a bell. Yeah. I like at some point it would be cool to to get into contact with those guys and interview those guys um, and gr and girl, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and that was sort of that sort of like performance art kind of. It's more like kind of um, yeah counterculture like poetry thing that sort of like try to push the boundaries. You know, an outlaw poetry. Right, right, just, it's a lot of info. That's a lot mm -hmm. of info. Hold it. Let me just let me cut, let me chime in because mm -hmm. I, I know how it goes. That's it's admirable. But let's let's just break it down. Mm -hmm. Hammer time. <laughs> is, uh, is so just going back a bit, dialing it back to are you to around the time when Mick was getting involved with are you out of it. One of the cool events they had, like these, these, these set of 1984 photos showing Mick and the Are You Out of It guy, they were doing an event where they were celebrating like X amount of days being alive and not dying of a nuclear holocaust. Mm -hmm. Because it was the 80s, <clears throat> everyone was worried about the Cold War, and especially in 83, 84, it was like at a fever pitch. Mm -hmm. So are you out of it and Mick they were all holding this and like a whole bunch of other assorted artists and eccentric types were holding this event about celebrating being alive and not being destroyed by the bomb <laughs> for like it's like you know it's like it's like the 186th day of not, <laughs> of not dying in a holocaust <laughs> yeah. you know and like that was I, just putting the pieces together I gleaned that I think like are you out of it sort of sparked the the change in Mick, you know, or it facilitated the change over to really leaning into the surrealistic uh, poetry, you know, what do you call it? Like the spearheader and like being, like being someone who's involved in groups and getting other people to get involved in this mayhem. I think Are You Out of It was a big influence on Mick from what I could tell. And this is all a lot of speculation in my own thoughts and whatnot. Mm -hmm. This is all... We're getting to the point. We're getting to the portion where we meet him. I promise, audience. But uh, <laughs> we only have a few more the, decades. The, the, short, <laughs> I mean, the short story. The, the short story is without doing a huge info dump because I'm telling you, people's eyes glaze over when it's a long one. <laughs> the short story is, Mick 
throughout the 80s and 90s gets involved with a lot of artist groups, a lot of poetry groups, goes on a lot of adventures around the world, gets involved in like a, a rave in England. He talks about how he used to, he stumbled into this rave in England where he met a chick and it was like a rave and he just kind of went along with it. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, that was one of my favorite pieces of events, his writing. Yeah, all these events helped to shape the man that Mick ultimately became because audience, Mick didn't make his first movie until he was 50 years old. Mm -hmm. So that would have been, what, he, he, he was 71 this year, so that's 2022, mm -hmm. right? So like early 2000s. So, early 2000s mm -hmm. he's only been making movies up until you know the point of his passing he'd only been making movies for 20 something years yeah and that arguably at least to us is the most well-known and celebrated part of his long career mm -hmm. and just to say by the way mix mix day job he worked in like the mailroom at harvard university like mm -hmm. a true superhero story yeah you know <laughs> Humble man goes to work in the mailroom, but then when he leaves, he's the professor of surrealism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, yeah. And, and not just see. a award-winning. Yeah. Upon becoming a filmmaker, Mick was prolific, and he was hardworking. He would get all of his movies out in the festivals. Not all of them would choose him, but to the ones that did, he won some awards. He got into the festivals. He, he got around, like, internationally. Yeah, and he so, traveled, he was in, yeah. That's but, a whole I mean, part of his... Yeah, it started out, like, prior to that early 2000s where he was, uh... Yeah, he was all about, like, performance poetry. Like, I think with the, the Fire of Prometheus, they, um... They did, like, hundreds, yeah. hundreds of shows, countless shows, and, uh... He, like, toured around, uh... New York, and, yeah, all over. And, yeah, yeah, right, like, a world traveler, like... Went to London, he talked about that. You could find really. a lot of, like, you could find a lot of videos, like, old videos from, like, the 80s and 90s of Mick at, like, different events and, like, cable access appearances. Like, it's mm -hmm. it's so uncanny valley because it looks like a deep-faked young Mick. <laughs> you know, like, they do, like, yeah, the, the yeah. Marvel de-aging. Well, so, yeah. Like, oh, that, <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, that... That looks like a young guy, like Christopher Reeve, but mixed voices coming out of him. <laughs> he did, uh, he did, uh, yeah, those, those early, uh, uh, the poetry readings, it was, um, I think he had organized then, like, his own coffee house, where it was originally, I, I found out, it was originally called The Naked City, uh, and then that okay. is what later became Squawk Coffee House, and they would have... Squawk Coffee House, right, did... Did Mick have anything to do with the moth in, ba in Cambridge? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know if he ever did anything there, but, you know, did a lot of shows around Boston, too. And like, we do know that Mick was like a... Mick was, a set, was one of the denizens of uh, the Out of the Blue Cafe over in um, Cambridge, which was mm -hmm. a small artist studio where poets would go. and It was, it was a pretty celebrated... Yeah location for uh artists in the centrics wasn't it yeah <laughs> out of the blue <laughs> yeah out of the <laughs> imagine they put that like on the oh, mar right, on the marquee right. like we have eccentrics here uh 
Yeah, out of the blue gal well, the out of the blue art gallery. Who was there? I mean, you, yeah, no, you I get know artists this. I know that. Doing their legit thing, and then you get the people <laughs> who came in and they pee on the couch. And that's I story. just remember when we did when we had our early uh, the the precursors to our film festival, <laughs> Experimental Ill, the random acts of insubordination, and and Tom Tipton who was running the gallery when. I had spilled a, a Red Bull energy drink out of my bag, and you know what kind of, not everyone, certainly, but what crowded is when his first instinct is to assume we peed on the on his couch. Uh, so, and yeah. He just, he just asked so casually, like, <laughs> peed on the couch. Like, it was a normal, like, he was annoyed, but he knew it was like a normal thing. Yeah, it's like, you were relaxed. That's and, the type of people you got. Yeah, well, that's what I like about that's what I like about Mick. Like, if you check out those the the travelogue writing, I feel is sort of like underrated. It's like he definitely was a poet. People would read his poetry, but in retrospect, I feel like a lot of and that's why I started to really get into his stuff and and go on the site to be able to read it. Which I think some of that stuff was published in some magazines. I'm sure some stuff was in his underground surrealist, which he sent me a few copies. It, you know, it was like a glossy. Magazine. I mean, it looked like a magazine, which now it's like now uh, younger people are like, "What's a magazine? <laughs> like, it's like a it's like a website, what's this, yeah, what's but a in ma- paper." <laughs> like, yeah. Forget a zine. What's a magazine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, right. That's <laughs> what's that's. What's a magazine? Eh? <laughs> I was I was watching that um, yeah, the that uh. That um, Will Will Friedle and Christy Carlson Romano they do that podcast. I hear voices where they interview voice actors and and that Friedle can't. I mean, maybe he's in his forties or maybe, but he's always maybe he's older. I don't know, but you know they're always stopping the show, going and now kids. Uh, you know the <laughs> the the yeah. VCR was a thing before the Explaining. or the phone was a thing where you know you would just make calls on it and then. Uh, you know, it's not even that yeah, long ago. Telephone was something that people had. <laughs> yeah. But, but back to Mick, though. Yeah, back, back to Before we go off on a tangent. Back yeah, to exactly. Mick. So, so, yeah, so, so if, we, if you want to put Mick into pop culture terms so for something that's easily digestible mm-hmm. to most people, everybody knows Batman. So think of the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s where Mick is traveling around the world and getting involved with weirdos. That's that's his period. That's the period where Bruce Wayne goes to train with the League of Shadows in like Tibet. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's going around the world and he's becoming. He's getting to know what surreal means. Yeah. And Mario Alvarez probably going to make. You have to become an idea. You have yeah. to become surreal. <laughs> I, yeah. And I mean, young Mick is like, oh, all right, okay. Surrealism. I mean, he was and interested. Then, in, I think classic art forms like that. And yeah, he's discovered surrealism and. It was just right. that idea that he didn't have to be held to the tyranny of meaning, you know, that you could do weird things right. and sort of turn things on their head and challenge, you know, challenge people with uh, what you were challenge doing. Challenge the norms. Yeah. Let me, let me finish the illustration. So, mm. you know, so he, he, he trains with, you know, League, the League. McTuss is <laughs> training with the, the League of Surrealists. And then Nick, Nick. Noble, noble hero that he is, decides to bring that brand of surrealism back to his home. Well, not really his home turf. He was born in Buffalo, New York. Mm-hmm. So he brings it to us humble people in Boston, Massachusetts, in the form of films in like 20, 2001. Mm-hmm. That's when yeah. it becomes... 
that's where Mick becomes and, the Batman, or as we know him, the Professor of Surrealism. <laughs> that's right. Well, I think he was. Yeah, I mean, he was announcing himself as the Professor of Surreal, like Grism on on YouTube in the '80s or probably the the '90s. By then, he was. Sure. He had some sketch, some some uh, sketches. It really. <laughs> he really came into it with the films. The idea. The, the idea was. Yeah. The idea was the culmination um, of his efforts. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I just want to Go say, ahead. like the, the the idea um, is that uh, he he would have you know these poetry events and the coffee houses and stuff, and he was uh, he told me like you know it was a lot of poets that were just performing to each other, and so what if you brought them out onto the street kind of thing and got them to sort of a wider audience? And he went and bought a video camera, and right. he only. The only people he knew around Boston at the time uh, who could, would do something like that were poets. And he talked about how hard it could be to kind of direct those guys. Like, poets will do anything who, anything you could imagine because they're so used to speaking about the most personal things on stage. Uh, but it, he, they, wouldn't, he wouldn't, they wouldn't do exactly what he you know, told them to do. But his first um, video was called Poets in the City. And that was where it was just, they were doing uh, poetry and I think, you know, lines of his poetry out in the city and stuff. Um, and yeah. So, but I Mike, think, yeah. It is succinct, it is succinct of a, it is, it is the most succinct way that you can put it, you know. Mm -hmm. Basic, basic way, not, not too long. <laughs> just to just to bring people up to speed before we, before we move into like the, the, the heart, before we move into the heavy filmmaking portion of Mick's career. How would you describe a Mick Cusimano film? Mm -hmm. What is a Mick Cusimano movie? Well, he was, he was still doing... Your definition, go. He was still doing cartoons. Um, you know, he originally would do cartoons of uh, the Beatles and things and that whole, like, 60s kind of counterculture thing. And... I then he he was doing I guess he must have learned how to do that flash um, animation you know or he would um and so it was sort of just really he, the main themes he was interested in were like history ancient history um, archaeology you know rock and roll right and so somehow kind of incorporating all that in animation and then in the the live action it was it seemed to be usually where he would sort of repurpose his poetry and having a actors yes. sort of talk to the camera a lot of times and yes. do his poetry lines but there what he did take screenwriting classes at harvard too he 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 got um a break on harvard extension classes while working there so that was another way he used his connections so he was trying to get a story it'd be a lot of like you know something happened there's some mcguffin and everyone in the city is trying to get this thing or okay, okay, this okay, thing. right there that's good now, now bring it in Scale it down mm -hmm. even more succinct than that because it's a lot of words. Okay, well, like so, you like you would you say, say he had a... Hey, hey, I want you to say mm -hmm. this. A Mick Cusimano film is... Mm -hmm. A Mick Cusimano film is a bunch of sort of ragtag ragtag group of people. You had uh, you had some, some of those hippie types, older, you know, poet types, remnants of the poetry scene, uh, oh. people like us from the cable access... TV scene that he would meet. You had some Boston sort of uh, fashion model types, or you know, a, a few um, 
attractive women he would he would get who would you know do the do themselves up for the camera and stuff and he would sort of repurpose and you had a very um it was sort of very like sort of rough around the edges like camcorder uh shots like lockdown shots um you had people sometimes they would talk to the camera and do his do his uh surreal poetry and there would be like a little skit or something um where they'd be interacting and sort of rough shot props, right? Like he had the eggs for Don't Spill the Eggs. Um, right. Or the Sasquatch outfit for Monkey Do, Monkey Don't. And then it would abruptly cut into animation, like this weird sort of surreal um, acid trip kind of animation, right? Where it'd be like a, an ancient uh, pharaoh or something or an alien or something. And it would have that flash animation. It, it, it something vaguely related to the movie <laughs> yeah. the animation. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I, if it was, you know, I, I was I was the lead in Monkey Do, Monkey Don't, so whenever he would have, like, cutaway animations, he'd have, like, a crudely animated me. <laughs> yeah, right. With, oh, that's like, true, yeah. He, he would sort of make his friends into cartoons, too, yeah. Yeah, a very, a very, and I don't mean to say, I don't, a very rudimentary version of rotoscoping. Yeah, yeah. He would draw, he would like make, a, he would use the photo or a still image of the person, draw around them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe he would, the most he would animate of that person is like their hand waving up and down. Yeah, and then uh, he had that very, um, he kept using that, who were those guys, Dagmar? There, there was some, there was like weird, ethereal, Dagmar like, mute. yeah, and there was like, that was, yeah. Dagmar was like his Danny Elfman. Yeah. <laughs> It was, and there's weird ethereal kind of orchestral like music that he kept yeah. using, and then he would have, and then he would do um, voiceovers like, sometimes for the for the cartoon portions, right? And it was sort of, it was very eerie sometimes. Yeah, the uncanny valley. Like, fucking eerie. <laughs> when that music would come on, like <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's like, okay, let me just describe you. Let me look because we're saying a lot of shit and it might yeah. be flying over people's heads, but let's just. So from our, because the only thing that matters in, in this world is the, the podcast is my perspective and Mike's perspective. Yeah. Mainly my perspective. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, of course. The way I, because I'm, I'm the original, I'm the, I'm the spark that lit, you know, listen. <laughs> listen, uh, I created me, the internet. I created the internet. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, but let's just let's 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 bring it up to speed. At Lawrence, how did so you guys are talking? But about you were on to something model. there. Yeah, you guys are acting like you're all broken up. Well, how'd you find out about this guy? Right. Well, let's rewind the clock back to January 2009. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Brookline, Massachusetts. It's fucking freezing. It's the middle of winter. Miserable Boston winter where there's like glaciers forming in the roads. You know, and then there's me, 35 years old, having just been shit-canned for my esteemed job at CNA, the Comcast network. I and 358 other people were shit-canned from uh, the Comcast network, regional cable network. Nobody needs to know this. That's why I'm telling you. <laughs> that should be the caption for the whole podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's so, not true <laughs> I'm looking around for work you know Mike is my buddy you know with me as always is Mike <laughs> and, and, uh, don't, but Mike Mike was always the, in those days I was more manic and 
before I would I would come across. You know what it was like me and you were like in those days, Mike. I was like Lex Luthor, and you were like you were like Otis. <laughs> because you, because Otis always had the more, he had the common sense. Yeah, yeah. Luther was the one who, even though he was a genius, he was a crazy man in a braggadocio and would get himself into trouble with Superman. And that yeah. was me. And it was like delusional confidence that yes, can get yes, you into trouble. You. <laughs> like, yeah. We're both bald. Yeah. That's good. And, you know, you'd be like, well, Lawrence, uh, you're Larry, I mean, you know, you don't really want to do that with the ladies. And the, nah, nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. We won't do this. North, north. So, Mike, you know, I'm looking around for work. Mike is with me, you know, he's being the Otis. He's like, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't, don't talk about walking into traffic, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. And I end up getting a job at Brookline Access Television. You know, in other words, that that's the equivalent of I was working at a regional network cable station and I'm back working in public access. I was crestfallen. <clears throat> but it ended up being a cool station, technologically outfitted. Who cares? Anyways, one of the shows we got, I was the program. I was one of the program directors there, along with this other guy who we won't mention his name because I don't think he wants to be associated with us. <laughs> Randy, Randy, Mc, Randy <laughs> McShane was the program. <laughs> so, anyways, I used to stay there late at night. Like Me and Mike would stay at the station late at night, just video editing. I'd be working on the programming schedule, this, that, the other thing. And we would have the, we would have the, we would have the channel on. We'd have the BATV, the Brookline Access Television channel, playing in the background. And every so often, you know, it would cut from you know, a local selectman meeting. And then the, the the screen would skip a little bit, and then we would hear this very subdued yeah. Egyptian music. Like, it was like, <laughs> it was like played really low volume. Yeah. And it sounded like, oh! It was like, it was like, can you edit in the audio, like, later on? But yeah, maybe. I'll do my interpretation. Like, it went from, like, it went from the local selectman going, and we uh, motion to conclude, Thank you. We'll see you all next. (laughs) 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 Mike and I would look at the screen, and on the screen would be this kind of orange background with a very crudely drawn rooster. That's right. Animated rooster. And it was like Mike and I would look at each other and be like, what is this? It was like a phantom broadcast, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I like um, that. the fact that it was on sort of uh, late at night yeah, or like late. early in the morning, kind of. It was like yeah, a, we a Kusumano to... production. The, it was like a fever dream. And I just want to say, right. too, it was, they, were, they were primarily, if not, um, I want to say all, but maybe almost, because maybe I'll leave room for something else. But uh, they, they were uh, comedies. Most yes. mostly, I mean, it was meant to well, be, but, the but then also they, teach you some history, I guess, too. You know, the, the animation would like then like maybe cut to like these these people, like these these interesting looking folks, and what we could tell was like Harvard Square saying like nonsense poetry mm-hmm. of like you know the spaghetti falls on the acoustic house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna smack I'm gonna smack this egg against the dripping spaghetti wall. Yeah, the and the lamb, the lambs of the green sky come. 
I like in uh, Don't Spill the Eggs, we do it as a duo, like you and me, and we look like we're in like an early MTV thing in Don't Spill the Eggs. It was, it was like uh, a fish. Sure, a, 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 <laughs> yeah, we're all like, trying to be like badass and Don't Spill the Eggs. But yeah. it was uh, it was uh, a fish on the shore plays liquid piano for a chorus yes. of attentive starfish. Why were we so threatening? <laughs> I think because we were with our friend uh, at the time, was AJ. AJ Eight was, was rubbing the, off on was us. It the influence of AJ Eight. <laughs> yeah, our biker badass uh, uh, karate. Uh, our friend. Fonzie, if we were the nerds, get <laughs> yeah. run off of his cool. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm books. I'm books in your numbers. <laughs> I might no, just like. Uh, but anyways, anyways, we would yeah. So Mike and I would see this weird show come on the uh, come on the air and be like, "Who is this guy?" So then the next day, I asked the programmer Randy McStain. <laughs> I said, "I said, hey, who who's that guy <laughs> with the rooster, yeah. the animated rooster?" And he and Randy goes. Oh, I think you'll like. He goes, I think you'll like. And Randy McStain talks really slow, like this, like really slow and deliberate. He goes, he goes, I think you'll, I think you and Ra- I think you and this guy would be peas in a pod. You should reach out to him. His stuff is the shit. And so I go, really? And then he hands me the DVD, and it's got the rooster, the rooster on it, and the name of the person. Mikusamano. Yeah, you're like, who's this guy, Mikusamano? Like, yeah. And honestly, I didn't know what's. I thought, is this like a, a, with the crude like cartoons? I was just like, yeah, is this like a kid? Is it like a stoner like college kid? I didn't know what to yeah. think about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that, see, that's so interesting hearing your point of view of what mm-hmm. I never thought of what you were thinking of it at the time because <laughs> I was too busy being maniacal. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. Yeah. We need to do a so, podcast to sort all these out, all this out. That's really. what you thought of, like that's you had thoughts and opinions of it. <laughs> yeah, if you ever asked me outside of a podcast, I dragged you over to it. I said, "We're gonna go meet this Cusimano." <laughs> Off in the car, Mike. We're gonna go meet this. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, "Mr. Lufo, all right." In the car, Mike. <laughs> <It's Mr. Lufo. laughs> Yeah, I, I forget. No, you must have gone. For, I forget what I was doing, but yeah, like you said, you were. Uh, I think the the first thing you did with them. Well, th- there was. He, so it was sometimes it's confusing because like just like our friend John Hartman from Real Groovy Films, like sometimes there would be like there'd be like the main movie, and then sometimes yes. you, he would take the footage and you'd be in like a another supplemental movie. So sometimes it's yeah. like hard to keep track of what we were. In like because I just saw you. If you go on archive.org, I, I, uh, I just saw you in um, a short he did called the Surreal Cafe, which was um, I know he used that name a couple of times for stuff, but uh, it w- it was like yeah, it was all the different people asking questions of philosophical existential questions of life to this uh, coffee house uh, waitress or something, and you were Thank you had a bit is, in that. Just just want to say think of mm-hmm. Mick the way he would make his movies. Think of it like a deranged version of the of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. So he'd have the main films, and then off of that, he would edit these little offshoots that right. might have been outtakes or something vaguely related to the main film. Mm-hmm. You know, like there was like a like a a scene that digresses in the main movie, and then mm-hmm. oh, you see it in this other thing that he made. Mm-hmm. But it would have, but taken out of context, you're like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You were also in, you got to, I think he was already done with it or in the middle of 
editing this, um, which was a big one in retrospect. One of his bigger ones, I would, I would say, was um, the Mermaids of Atlantis. Well, that's what I was about yeah. to get to. Let mm-hmm. me so let me get sure. to that. The first Mike just said the first thing that I was ever in of mix. The first time I ever met him. The first thing I was ever in was his was mix film Mermaids of Atlantis, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> I was I was kind of blown away because by this point. Mike and I had already worked with a few different filmmakers. Eccentrics, as you say. <laughs> Eccentrics and filmmakers in the Massachusetts, the Boston, Massachusetts area. You know, anyone from Quincy Briscoe. They've probably you know, been on this podcast. It's what we're all about here, of Quincy course. Quincy Briscoe and then, like, artist, poet. And, in fact, I'll just say it. Mike and I had just come off of, like, a, a, of a run of, like, two serious years of working with uh, poet and filmmaker D.L. Polanski, who he's been on the program before, but he, mm-hmm. he's another great, amazing artist as well. But we had just come off of a huge... Mike and I had put on a uh, film festival for D.L.'s works early in 2000, or like mid-2009. And we just finished that. By the time we get to Mick... We were a few months done working with DL, so we were a little bit pooped. And I was like, okay, this is the next era with these guys. And yes! How much yes, more... It was, like, it was a much less... I mean, DL's productions were much more structured and sort of trying to be a mainstream narrative, like mainstream right. movie. And he was a much more uh, stressed out, frantic presence. Well, just because mm-hmm. his vision was... That's the thing. That Here's the contrast between the two. It's... And this is no knock, and DL, if you're listening, I'm not knocking you, because I know Mm -hmm. we've had some antagonism in the past, and I'm not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, DL has a very, the contrast between Mick and DL is, DL has a very specific vision for his films, down to the way they they need to, down to the way, like, a shadow will fall on something. Mm -hmm. Right? And he will fuss, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he will, he will, work at that until it is to his absolute perfect what he calls perfection mm-hmm. you cut to Mick and what I was impressed with was or you know at least I was uh, struck with was it was more of a collaborative thing like you know hey whoever, whoever was there throw an idea in and we might use it yeah and in, then, that, in that way it was like a sort of punk rock you know very DIY like style you know it, it wasn't I'm making a movie. It was truly let's make a movie. Like, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's like our movie, or like yeah. And he sent me a a card with a bunch of stuff when he sent me those magazines. Like you know, thanks for helping with with those mo- those movies or our movies, and we will be more. We hope you know, like it was always it was a group thing. You know, we were doing this thing, and he always honored his friends and never forgot who helped him. You know, do something. There's a, there was a there's a monkey song when Mick died. There was a song I was playing. I didn't play it to you because I was I was about to lose it. <laughs> but there's a song by the Monkeys written by the late Mike Nesmith, and it's called Tapioca Tundra. And I thought about and I was playing this song like around the time I found out about Mick's dying because there's a line in it that goes uh, <clears throat> silhouettes and figures stay close to what he had to say and one more time the faded dream is saddened by the news it cannot be a part of me for now it's a part of you 
And it's that last line of like he that around the time when Mick was, I think when Mick realized that he didn't have much longer to go in this world, Mick had sent part. Uh, he sent a, a little external drives to both Mike and I that contained all of his work, all of his little videos and the films that we were in and whatnot. And almost like in his way of saying, you know, this is as much yours as it is mine. And if it's, if anything, it's more yours now because I can't be a part of this anymore. Carry it on. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the whole thing about Mick. It's like, as prolific as he was, as hardworking as he was, it wasn't all about him. Yeah. You never once felt that there, you never once felt that there was this big ego or that he was like this dictator on his films. He was making it to do something with all of his friends and to get out to get out the weird ideas in his head by by infecting that idea on all of his friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had that the Cheshire grin where he always looked like he was getting away with something and of course of course he was, you know. And then like yeah. <laughs> Like he like when he made this he made this short film poetry thing called Don't Spill the Eggs. Mm. And anyone who watched it around that time I remember Even I was he loved like I was like and it was only years later on, on that first um podcast uh, when I finally got him to do like the one on one that I kind of got an answer of what it was, you know, um Something about the eggs from some surrealist, you know, artist or something. But yeah. like he was, I kept asking him, you know, what do, what does this all mean, you know, and what does this mean? And uh, I think he got a kick out of because he when he did that comic strip of us in in Imagine Magazine, that's what it it was said. It was like a cartoon of me going like, why did you have us uh, do that, or why did you like, why did you have us like, you know, hide the eggs or try to get the eggs or whatever and. And then it's the cartoon of him that says, so we can smack it against the uh, spaghetti wall or whatever. And then the caption says, the caption says, those darn surrealist filmmakers, like, you know, like, because it was, because, yeah, that is a standout where it's the most surrealist movie ever made, a.k.a. has, seems to have sort of the least amount of obvious, like, meaning to it. It's just these uh, characters running around trying to... uh, trying to hold on to these, uh, you know, eggs, like out of an egg carton or something, uh, and there isn't really a reason. people running around, <laughs> eggs, stealing eggs from one another, and saying, like, mix, mix, uh, crazy poetry. Yeah, poetry. idiosyncratic, uh, and yeah, like, what sets it off? And it, he told me in the interviews, like, it was about trying to get back to that sense of, of playing as a as a child too, you know, and and, and, and making your friends, is. turning your friends, turning his friends into uh, live action cartoon characters. Let's and he, make yeah. pretend. And he was in, he was influenced by the classic like slapsticky stuff too, like the Keystone Cops and stuff like that too. I think. So. Was he a Marx Brothers fan? I don't remember him talking about. Yeah, I bet. I bet he. I bet he was. He also talked about you would like you should talk about like deep dives. He mentioned uh, the only president precedent for uh, somebody uh, that he going from um, animation, I guess, into live action. Or he mentioned um, this guy Frank Cashlin. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I think he did some. <laughs> Some uh, maybe like Looney Tunes cartoons or some stuff from like Warner Brothers or something like that. 
and then directed some live action things or something. Now, uh, let's just be, let's be, all of that's great, like, learning about, like, it's all inspiring, but, like, <laughs> what did the larger, what was always the more fun thing was... <laughs> what is the larger the world? <laughs> is about, yo, how did Nick play to the larger world? Now, we here at Experimentally, we don't care what people, you know, who can't, mm-hmm. the whole that you do your art, who gives a crap about what people think, but occasionally it is fun to see the reactions <laughs> of what the, you know, quote, normies say, unquote. Yeah, yeah. So... Mike and I would run this experimental eel film festival way back when, you know, we would, we, we, we would pull our resources and we'd rent out the Coolidge Corner Theater, big screen. It was a big affair. We'd get right up in the news and all that stuff. And of course, one of the people to regularly enter his films into the festival was Mick. <clears throat> so I remember when we did, when we did <laughs> feel like that guy at Howard do the Richard the, the Gene Simmons impersonation and so Howard's the diamond crystal <laughs> <laughs> because and, so, and we did we, we did we did this we did this one in 2010 <clears throat> I think it was like the third festival we did it was in, in 2010 Mike and I were, 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 were shitting these things out at record <laughs> around 2009-10 other, other than his like, Mermaids of Atlantis was this fucking don't spill the eggs <laughs> short thing yeah. all he could talk it, it about consumed him. all he yeah. could fucking talk about that summer of 2010 was like don't spill the eggs <laughs> yeah. I remember it was all about eggs we, we, we shot for months in Harvard Square this eggs thing it was a big deal to him like he was fixated on it like he was confounded by his own thought yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was yeah it you really can see on that one um, he carried around a clip <laughs> filled with wooden eggs yes he had that's like a joke. he was like it's a super villain with a prop yeah <laughs> I honestly thought at the time this is the thing that breaks him he's gonna go into the institution yeah <laughs> so anyways we get it done like, we finish the film the video whatever <laughs> and at the end of the year we show it we have the festival at the end of the year and we show it at the, at the Coolidge Corner Theater and you know so I'm, I'll never forget we're in the audience we're at our festival and like a bunch of basic we, we had a bunch of basic but quirky movies playing but definitely <laughs> things that had narratives you know yeah. remember there was the film Couch yeah about the guy who falls in love with the couch mm-hmm. then there was another one called The Lead about these guys who were fighting a sentient pile. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. And so we're going through, you know, wacky but basic, basic narratives. And then we get to eggs. Now, we had a packed house. Yeah, very historic, very historic uh, theater, Art Deco Theater, Coolidge Corner. Yeah, very historic. Packed house filled with, like, Kind of like random college kids who came in off the street. Yeah, that was always fun to have like people just like walk in and yeah. I yeah, was like, hey, did you hey did you see us in the Boston Globe? And they're like, no. <laughs> no, nope, they, they just wanted to see what it was. Mm-hmm. And these were they didn't just duck into the theater. They bought a ticket to come in. Yeah. So yeah, like you had couples, and I remember there were like a, few, a couple like you know a, like this this pair of couples that were there, and they were watching this shit. 
And then Nick stuff, you know, comes on with the Egyptian music. Oh! <laughs> it, it's like he didn't edit it right, so the volume was way low on the music. And, like, you could hear people sniffling and coughing. And Mike and I kind of looking at each other like, uh-oh. And then the volume shoots up when the person comes on the screen like, don't spill the eggs. Yeah, it, it's not like the eggs, room sound. Eggs is like seven fucking minutes long. <laughs> and it's pretty much... If, if you're not really paying attention, it just comes off like a bunch of people routinely saying to you to torture you. <laughs> they command, they you. command, they command you not to do it. Yeah, he put, I like he put his, uh, he put, he has a quote from you on his website, like Lawrence Holly Experimental Ill Film Festival, that like, this is a ragtag band of artists and actors commanding you to don't spill the egg. He's like, this is another one of the films that crafting a summary is um, a pointless exercise. Because, right. You know. right, but like at first, so like you hear the trajectory of the audience. At first, they're laughing. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you know, they're watching kind of like the fast motion. But then it would cut to then it's again the montage. The mantra, don't spill the eggs, cut to the next person, don't spill the eggs. And then our buddy AJ <laughs> doing a roundhouse kick who's like, don't <laughs> spill the eggs. And at that point, you hear people, I remember hearing someone behind me go, what is going on? <laughs> like, he would love that. I think so, Mick like, loved that kind of thing, though. I think that's the whole idea. Right, you know? but then the reviews, then I saw, I went, on Facebook, the, like a few days later, of like one of the one of the ladies who was there was a woman who I did a movie with, mm -hmm. and she and her boyfriend attended, mm -hmm. and I was looking at their like little back and forth on their public feed, mm -hmm. and she posted, she posted just a text that said, "Don't spill the eggs." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's then, like infamous. In the comments, in the comments, <laughs> their boyfriend wrote. Oh my god, that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> but it screened and was that the one that it was that was the one where it was turned down by a bunch of festivals but it got into the Swaziland Africa or I think that yeah, might have been they, Cyprus Greece, one of those one of that's them. That's the TV trope. Yeah. Big in Japan. Yeah, it's like there's uh in the foreign markets, right? They just want to see Americans do any, like, weird thing, and so, yeah, he was... Yes. Kusumano was, like, bigger in other countries, because... They, yeah. they think America's just Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, everything they realize is... realize that, you know, there's this dude with, like, <laughs> with fucking, you know, Albert Einstein hair yeah. running around talking about eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a mad scientist. With a, with a multicultural cast. That's, that's right. Different ages, different. He had a very. That was the most varied his his uh, stuff was, and I think in terms of the the cast at the time. He was a yeah. hit. He he went to Cyprus. He went to a festival in Cyprus, fucking Greece. Mm -hmm. He he. I remember he actually invited me to go. And stupid mm -hmm. me, I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta work at the studio. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, now I look back, I'm like, oh shit. Like and then he told me all about the adventure. How like. He went like roll. He went out to the beach in Cyprus at night with the full moon over the water, and there was like mm. like like bonfires and like. And I'm like, oh yeah, man, he was always he so was always fun. like he was always like getting into like adventures where it was like I forget you'd have to go back into that uh, that earlier uh, eighty something uh, episode of Experimental Eel with Mick, but yeah, I remember he and he, I'm sure he wrote about it on his website too, but 
yeah, it was, it was always like, oh, they invited me to, uh, you know, Paris, France, or London, or you know, they invited me to the Surrealist Art Show, and they uh, introduced me as a full-fledged member of their group, and, you know, he was always... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I think he, I, I, one of the festivals it was he. Yeah, they wanted to interview him, and then like when they heard he worked at Harvard, you know that's yeah. fam- famous. You know, so they, they really liked it. Yeah, a testimony that to, you know, if you're of the right temperament and you believe in your vision and you get behind it and you really work to get it out there like how you can involve other people and like create a little mini phenomenon around it yeah like, he had this like troop of of he had this like troop of people and it's it's weird now because it's like yeah you know like well, that group did it and it's like i just i think uh i think uh yeah i think i mean he definitely had you know it's like the squawk Coffee house guys and all the poets. I think guys. we need to speak but, about that, Mike, before you go, because mm-hmm. on that, like that's. But I, I, I was just, I was just gonna say, like, it's hard to tell now, like who, or maybe time will tell. You know, uh, I think you and I, and he really, because we were younger than some of um, the the folks in his typical group, and I think he really got a kick out of it. Like, could tell we kind of appreciated his like scene, and I'm not sure yeah. if, because there are some other people who i won't say but um you know even um some people who did a few of his movies and be like oh yeah you know like they were i i would say like my mom really likes the kusamana movies and really thought it was cool we were doing and then she's like oh like my mom says you know those are nonsense movies or you know they kind of they were in the movies but they kind of like downplayed and i think definitely through the lens of nostalgia for me it gets magnified but i always like appreciated that little scene he had like going on and i'm not sure if everybody was as i guess that happens too like you know like when you're in the thick of the things you don't really realize maybe what's 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 going on but uh yeah but you always talked about you wanting to you always talked about you know you'd kind of read about like back in the day there would be like a little newsletter or magazine or i remember checking out a book at the newton cable access station about independent film and yeah little like microcosms of weird like trends in film or you know Kusamano loved talking about the underground and having an underground scene and so he ended up like and so he embraced you know his own little his own little scene you know that otherwise maybe wouldn't be one of the reasons why we want to keep talking about it is to make sure it's you know documented so I don't have access to uh like the corporate overlords like I was I was speaking in a um a group the other day like talking about you know like when you're the rolling stones no matter what happens to those guys every five years you know there's going to be a reissue of the greatest hits right but unless there's a unless there's a corporate interest like who's who's going to be responsible to to passing these like what before we had media what was it like telling stories around the campfire or whatever in the tribe so how can you how, how can you keep these ideas and these people around and remembered you know so yeah the pictographs the ancient pictographs that they see on some rock yeah kusamano's cartoons reminded you of cave drawing sometimes like getting these ideas across ten thousand years ago that was some nick kusamano (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) the tribe together going the giant dinosaur falls in the spaghetti mammoth yeah (laughs) 
And they're all like, oh, who is this Mick <laughs> Cave Amano? Yeah. And I think like that's that's that is something interesting is that <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, is Mick was that type of figure who would pull in people into his sphere and then like a little scene would develop around it. And then when he met us, we had our own little clique of people, you know, Quincy mm-hmm. and this one and that one, other people who we brought along with us to be in some of Mick's films. Oh yeah. I forgot that uh, we should talk also too about uh, like the second one that we did, um, which I think you never forget your first, you know, don't spill the eggs no. for me was a big thing, but, uh, well, yeah, ha- don't spill the eggs in whales. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then there was the whales. That was more like a video short where we were just like saying the saying the poem in a group, um, where he talked about all these very you know human you know silly things, right? Like whales don't form a deep attachment to Leonard Nimoy. Whales don't go to Star Trek conventions. You know, whales don't vote Republican. Whales just go mm-hmm. splash. You know, but uh, but for monkey do monkey don't, which was also a a poem then you know that inspired the, the movie like we had our buddy um the great entertainer of the new england area quincy briscoe was also in that as as a sentient giant banana that you chased as the as the uh athlete who turned himself into into an ape accidentally <laughs> right, and then our, our buddy dave young was in it dave is mm-hmm. another he's a guy like another kind of crazy artist guy from stoughton massachusetts he was in he was in monkey do monkey don't our our old biker buddy aj8 was in eggs so we had all mm-hmm. of our the guys we collaborated with ended up collaborating yeah. with mick yeah you could also that don't spill the eggs 2010 or you can see out on youtube of the uh there are only a few of AJ8's uh, short-lived talk show, which I was the co-host on, and you were the yep. uh, producer, director, you know, editor. Uh, yeah, and uh, Mikusamana was a guest on there. You can see that episode out there right. of, of his show, AJ's 8-Ball. And Never so, did yeah. get D.L. Polonsky on AJ's 8-Ball. I wish that had happened. Well, yeah, D.L. That's said he, he, he could tell that AJ8 was going to be trouble. Why, D.L.? Uh, facial structure... <laughs> Oh, that's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, but that's the thing about Mick is that when we would bring in other people into Mick's circle, again, Mick wasn't territorial. Mick loved the team. It was a the surreal soiree. You know? Yeah, it was always a soiree. He, he was loved, trying. To... <laughs> he loved the fact that the insanity was spreading. Yeah. It was like, think of you got to think of Mick like a benign version of the Joker. Yeah, a friendly, a friendly version of the Joker. Yeah, he didn't want to pollute Gotham. He just wanted everybody to be rhyming about eggs. Yeah, yeah, at the time. Because if it's driving him crazy, he wants everybody to be talking about it for at least an hour, for about six hours. Yeah, that was a a quote from Little Person Wrestler, Tiny the Terrible. Mick, Mick, you know, it wasn't like he sprang the life when Mike and I came along. Like Mick had his own little scene of people. Well, yeah, and of, of course and it, of course it continued for, you know, several years up until, up until his uh, passing, in yeah. in was it July of, July, July yeah. of of two thousand twenty two, yeah. Ugh. We'll so. talk about that in a few minutes, because mm-hmm. um, this is the, but 
I, I also wanted to kind of, uh, I wanted to take a little bit of a look at Mick's IMDb page mm-hmm. and uh, go over some of the films he had a little bit because I think what's interesting is that the 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 most film <laughs> the most the, of all of his movies out of all of his cinematic oeuvre the one that is most like a movie mm-hmm. like the one that you would really call a full on narrative mm-hmm. there's it kind of goes in a scale right it goes from coherence to to just to it's a series of vignettes strung mm-hmm. together with rhymes. Mm-hmm. But let's see here. Let's let's fire up. Uh, you know, I don't you hate it when like you're firing up the internet during the podcast and it decides to live <laughs> in your ass. By the way, audience, Mick was born in 1951. He died July 23rd, 2022, 71 years old. So yeah, according to whoever yeah put that on IMDb, which happened right. I noticed that right after the. Uh, memorial uh that i attended at the art gallery so i wonder if someone was like inspired to inspired to do that uh so we look we look here we look here and we see his director his directing resume goes as far back as 2006 well and the sad thing is who knows how totally accurate that is because he was probably the main i don't think it's accurate yeah he was like the that's the thing when you're when the when you get to when you're at a certain echelon right and you have the corporate overlords managing the stuff and you have enough and there's enough of a mass appeal where there's the diehard fans uh there's more checks and balances of these things but uh you know, now it's sort of just up to us and who was in the immediate what, sphere, you know. It's a, and with it being up to us, let's let's look at this list here and let's see. Let's let the audience know which ones are the actual movies and which ones are the actual kind of... From what, from, what, from, from, what, from what we know, I think... From what we know. Yeah. So I'm looking here at the list and from 2006 I see Valley of the Kings, City of Dark Shadows... Dreams of Leonardo da Vinci, Suspicious Minds, Do You Believe in Genies? And then 2010, here's where we come in. Wales, Don't Spill the Eggs in 2011, Jazz in Venice 2011, I think we're in that. Early Morning Blues, we were definitely in that one. It's yeah, we were, it's uh, myself, uh, you, and then uh, Mick and the late Don Rieger, who was a big oh, yeah. proponent and supporter uh, helped Mick produce a lot of movies. Then there's, then there's the big one. And this one is, sadly, the penultimate uh, co-production between me and you and Mick. is Monkey Do, Monkey Don't, which was in 20... Shot in 2011, but came out in 2012. And then following that, Love at First Sight, Alexander the Great in Egypt, Halloween's Birds, Beatniks... The search for Cleopatra's throne is a definite movie. Yeah, I almost, I almost was in that. I mean, he invited. I had kind of uh, taken a break from acting, act, acting in these things, and then I, yeah, I almost uh, did that one. But yeah, you uh, don't spill the eggs. So it was the big. I that was before Monkey Do Monkey Don't, right? So. Right, Red Line Riding Hood, Next Stop Grandma's House, and then finally the last one listed is Hold Off from the Wall, which I'm assuming is about Trump. Mm-hmm. So the three movies 
is you're getting in the mix stuff. The three works that are bona fide narratives are that we know of mm-hmm. uh, the mermaids in Atlantis. Oh, wait a minute, Mike. Mermaids isn't on here. <laughs> is that on there? We'll have to see if we can well, get it on there. That's that was in festivals though. So yeah. Mermaids from Atlantis or mermaids in Atlantis. <clears throat> That's a definite narrative. It's 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 all over the place, but there is a through line. Mm-hmm. Then the one that comes across like a real movie movie almost is, and this isn't tooting my own horn, but it's Monkey Do, Monkey Don't. Because mm-hmm. you can kind of say that that's the one with the most coherent structure resembling a movie, right? Yeah, he's like you have the protagonist of you, and then there's the problem where he wants to be, he's in the shadow, he's in the shadow of his father, I guess, who was a big athlete, and, uh, and so then he tries to he takes the monkey genes or something at the lab, right? And then, uh, yeah. and then becomes the uh, the ape. And then he's he's an outcast of society. He's like on the run uh, from all these people trying to trying to catch him, I guess. And then and then the um, and then it veers off into the vignettes where he tries to do um, speed dating with a bunch of different people. So. So then Mick got to do his his comedy of saying like, "What kind of movies are you into?" Oh, I like Gorillas in the Mist, uh, Planet of the Apes. Yeah, right. It's awesome. Then, then the last one is the last one that we know, like the last narrative film that I know of that I watched recently was The Search for Cleopatra's Crown, which concerns, yeah. which has Mick's go-to actress Gasha. Mm-hmm. Gasha is this is this Gasha is this woman who was his. Essentially mixes mix mixes muse, mm-hmm. you know, blonde statuesque. She was like a and fashion was, model in Boston. Fashion model. She was there for almost all of mixed movies, and it, the plot is about her as a college student, <laughs> and I guess she's trying to pay off her college tuition, and you know, it's comical. It's over the top. Like the the college tuition collector. Bill <laughs> Yeah, is that was that by, was that Marcus Nache? Played by Marcus Nache. This <laughs> yeah. was really this really. He's kind of a he's he's a he's a he's a character. He's a real character. He, he might be one character. of the. With any luck, he'll be one of my next guests for one Marcus, of Marcus. Marcus is great just because he's like a, he's like mixed Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, that's like, right. He's a contemporary in some. Always over the top, plays it up to eleven. You know, energy to spare, and he's chasing down Gosher <laughs> to get her. To get her um, to steal back her her diploma or something like that. Yeah, they're gonna so, repossess. They're gonna repossess her yeah, diploma. They're gonna repossess yeah. the <laughs> diploma. So what happens is she she stumbles upon Cleopatra's crown crown mm-hmm. in like a dumpster. Yeah. And then there's the, the typical misadventures with Mick. Mick somehow getting involved. I always love when yeah, Mick is in the he involves himself, and it's always like, a wink to the camera, like he, yeah. It's the equivalent, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the equivalent of like Spielberg being in a film. Wait, what the fuck is that? Because it's like he just can't help smiling. The whole time. <laughs> it's always like over the top, yeah. It's like it's like wait a minute, here's the puppet master, and he's trying to act. He's trying to act like, oh, what are we gonna do about your diploma? <laughs> then he'll turn to the camera and grin. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's the thing I always loved about Vic is like whenever he was in any scenes, the joy in his face yeah. couldn't be contained. <laughs> I love watching him looking like a little kid. 
insanity. Yeah, like, yeah. Like a little kid who got away with pouring orange juice into his Lucky Charms. <laughs> like, my, my, my mom and dad decided, I made my whole family disappear. I made my whole family disappear. But, and then I, yeah. So, you see just that utter... That utter glee of like, here I am making a film, but it's nonsensical, and I get all my friends to do it, and this is happening. Like, like even he can't believe it's happening. Well, so and he like would bring it to its, and he was organized enough, like crazy enough to try that stuff and not be worried about people's opinion, and then organized and sort of business minded enough to, you know. Do his thing at Harvard, and then and and sub, and follow through with like submitting into these festivals. And sometimes, if there wasn't a category for uh, his movies, they would make like a video poetry category and just like include yes. the stuff. So he defied category, you know. And I'm just scrubbing. I'm scrubbing through the search for Cleopatra's crown right now <laughs> to look at all the mixed scenes. Every fucking scene he's in, he's got a huge ear to ear grin. <laughs> well, because he was amazed too, because uh, I guess. Uh, uh, Gosha had uh, some like fashion student or something uh, create the costume for um, Cleopatra's crown. It was like the crown and then sort of this like glittery cape, gold cape that she had and it was like a big deal that they that they got this stuff. He always had one or two you know prominent like props or costumes right that yeah. um, like of course there was the ape costume. And then I didn't do the uh, Red Line Riding Hood, Red Line in reference right. to uh, to the mass transit uh, system. There's a green line, orange line, red line. Yeah, but in the Red Line Riding Hood, there was uh, the wolf. There was a wolf mask, right? And it probably was like the Robert Rodriguez thing, right? Take stock of what you have, right? Or like the B movie thing, like they talk about on Red Letter Media that we like. Like we have a mask here. How do we make a whole movie around it? You know, like <laughs> exactly. I'm kind of like it's a little sad. It's a little bit, a little bit sad here. It's like you know, I'm looking at Mick's YouTube page, and the last post was three months ago. <clears throat> Cleopatra mm. meets. It's titled Cleopatra meets Walks on the Moon. Oh, yeah, because he was talking about, like, yeah, that's not on the IMDb page, I guess, but uh, that was submitted. He, he was really, the last time I did an interview with him in February um, that's on here as the, the pod, a podcast, too, is uh, he was really proud of, um, he, he had his surreal, he always talked about, like, he liked, you know, the 60s, 60s. rock and roll stuff. But he and he wanted to do a band, but he was a terrible singer. So he ne so he just did the poetry. You know, he could just talk the the words right, like lyrics. But um, but then in the last act, even he said late in life, right? He he did a band that he called the Surreal Soiree, where he had all the troop of people all with him, and he like repurposed his poems into music. So he yeah. he had the band, and he uh, chroma keyed in that they were on the moon, right? So he was really proud of like we. We put the band on the moon, and uh, I guess that was accepted into some film festival in India. So yeah, some <laughs> some you know section of it, they must have been really. He was uh, thinking that they would be really like bowled over by these effects. That yeah, they 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 went to the moon for this movie, I guess. And it was the band doing their thing with you know 
Mars or whatever, the the moon, I guess, as the background, and then it would cut to like an animated alien with a with an electric guitar, you know, <laughs> like joining them. <laughs> yeah, like, one of his band videos is labeled from a year ago, Matt Gilbert latest SD 480p. Oh video. yeah. Yeah, from yeah, from from what I can from what I can tell, like, I don't really know those guys, but from what I've seen, it's that guy uh, Matthew D. Gilbert, and then another guy were like these um, these guys who were electric were like electric guitar players, and all all Mick needed to say I have a band is he got he got a couple of electric guitar guitarists, and then got the same you know old uh, you know hippie crowd to shout his poetry and he just sort of slowed it down. You talked about what he, one of Mick's famous, uh, more famous poems was stuck in the sixties and he did a song version of that, right? That you yeah, like. Yeah, he made a legitimate talk song for that one. <laughs> yeah. With a, like, with a really kick-ass, it sounds like when you listen to it, it almost sounds like a, like a, a, Zappa, a Frank Zappa thing from, yeah. <laughs> from like this, from the sixties. It sounds yeah. really garage rocky. Yeah, they were like a garage um, band thing. It's legit. It's really good. Um, I don't know where. Maybe you can make. Maybe you can put a link in it in the mm-hmm. in the uh, episode yeah. description. But that's the other thing. Yeah, Mick. Whatever Mick wanted to do, he did, and he managed to get it out to the world. Yeah. He wanted to make movies. He made movies. He wanted to do music. He actually cobbled together a band, mm-hmm. and they made music. He. And he also, yeah, he got out to, like, you know, venues, right? He would call them up and try to book a show. And there, he, yeah. one, of the, one of the places he would do poetry, too, was uh, the Stone Soup um, Poets. And I think, yeah, also, yeah, Arts at the Armory and, of course, Out of the Blue. But, yeah, those guys were that um, Parema, who's running the Out of the Blue at Arts of the Armory now. She was talking about, yeah, he was always calling it. He wanted to book the band, you know, a few months ago. And then... Uh, the guy um, who does uh, Stone Soup um, Poets talked about, like, oh, uh, you know, if only I had known. Like, I thought it was known that that Mick was sick. You know, he he, he had a brain tumor. He had, he had cancer, you know. I, uh, for And he was given a week to live, and then he lived well, uh, four stop, years. Stop there, stop but, there, stop there, stop there. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the we'll – mm-hmm. since we're nearing the end, we'll – We'll get to that in a little bit. Don't go into mm-hmm. there yet. Don't go into there yet. But it, just to say that, like, yeah, oh, if I knew he was sick, I would have, we, that they weren't doing as many shows, live shows, because of COVID. But just yeah. that he brought it to its logical, you know, conclusion. Like, he didn't just, like, sit in his basement or something with this idea. It's like, even if it's rough around the edges, he brought it out in front of in front of people like he i found an old email today like he was inviting uh me to at the the cantab lounge in boston like yeah the surreal soiree is gonna play there and you know so yeah so on that as we kind of bring this home a bit we're gonna start wrapping up but let's get to let's get to the the near the end of the mix story so when did you when were you aware of his cancer? Like, because he ended up with brain cancer. When when did you first hear about it? Oh remember? well, uh, um, the guy that we were um, associated with, uh, Ned Scannell, who was who screened some of his uh, films with us in the Experimental Film Festival. I remember he uh, he did some stuff with Mick, and I remember he 
I think he had just called me, or I think also um, Karen Ostromecki, who was also a friend of Mick, and she was an actress and uh, some stuff. So the stuff we were in, like Don't Spill the Eggs and stuff, I think she might have like sent me a message, like, oh, have you heard about Mick, or he's sick or something? And then, um, or no, like, yeah, or Ned wants you to call him or something like that. I remember like talking to Ned on the phone like a few years ago, and he was... Uh, telling me that Mick was just because Mick was always doing he, he talked about um you know the the greatest lie in America is you can't do something if you've never done it before he he ran he only ran a few miles originally and then started running marathons and all, always a and so he was always like running around like jogging always and riding active. and riding always, his riding his bike everywhere you always told me you told me he <laughs> pointed out he had like huge calves awesome calves because he was always riding his he bike did his calves <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah like a otherwise healthy guy and then Ned was telling me yeah he was just riding his bike or going to work and all of a sudden he just like he couldn't talk he couldn't get the words out you know so they didn't know if he was having a stroke or what he was what he was having and then they just saw it was a brain tumor I guess and he had sur he had surgery he was it was uh, do you, do you removed, remember when this was? Like but, it, but it came back uh well it would have been like four years ago right so uh First time. 2017 yeah it's like he got it removed and then and then of course what did he do right after the surgery is invited me to uh the outpost 186 gallery um in that's in i think somerville or cambridge right um that used to be the zeitgeist gallery um that we screen stuff wow. at but yeah and he did he had like you know it was like a wine and cheese kind of thing or i think there might have been pizza or something and a lot of people uh came to that, you know, like Deb Priestley from Out of the Blue Gallery, and uh, I think Hartley, our buddy Hartley Pleshaw, who also oh, yeah. now writes for Imagine Magazine and is going to do a tribute piece. There, I put up, a, like, a tribute thing to Mick on my social media, and he's going to, he wants to print, um, Just, he wants to print that in the article. Staying so. on track there, so, mm -hmm. like, you got invited to that thing, and then... Yeah, I went there, and then, like, uh, we got pictures and stuff, and I remember uh, putting, uh, uh, I called you up, and I put put you on the phone up with Mick. Hey, somebody wants to talk to you, and you got to like talk to him, and and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I brought my mom, you know, to that, and like it was they. He, I was Mick was just you know delighted to show his movies again, and his brother Nick was there, kind of helping him out and stuff. And yeah. then he just he wanted us to hang out after, but I already booked a ride to to leave so I couldn't hang out. And then we were talking about doing another interview and, you know, we just didn't, didn't get around to it again, like for a while. But, uh, um, yeah, it was just, uh, I don't think he hit, no, well that was after the, the band thing, I guess, because if a few years before that I did another, another, uh, video interview that I have, that I haven't done anything with. Uh, yeah. So, and then he just, he seemed like really, I mean, he had his head was like half shaved but he was hanging in. Well, he, he had his wits about him for like a long he time. His wits. Yeah. Like his his speech definitely took a little bit of a hit. Mm -hmm. You know, and he yeah. was he would message me, and sometimes the messages would be like, and this isn't a knock. I'm like, mm -hmm. they were just like kind of like jumbled or like a little bit incoherent. Yeah. And then I talked to him on the phone, and it would be like, oh, there's a, there's the old Mick again. Yeah. But only recently he was like, kind of slowed down, but but even it, then, it like, seemed yeah. like he was gonna do fine. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing, and you know, you, yeah, I was kind of like in denial a little bit about it, and you sort of you put put things off. But I'm glad we got you know what what we got, you know, especially that first audio interview. This is pretty pretty definitive, I think, for life story yeah. stuff. Um, just, yeah. But then like, then you know, this I. I'd gone back and forth with him on, like, uh, you know, Facebook Messenger, talked to him on the phone a few times, and then I hadn't heard from him in a while. Mm-hmm. And I remember just thinking about him around, like, you know, when Al Mick, it was, like, you know, the typical thing, like, uh, when Al Mick is doing, I haven't heard yeah. from him for a little bit. And then uh, <clears throat> you got in touch with me around, uh, what was it, July, is it the 21st, was mm-hmm. it, 22nd? Something like that. I know. I first, I first saw that. Um, uh, yeah, Marcus Nietzsche, right? He, he posted about it on Facebook, and uh, yeah, I um, and then yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, it was like it, it just seemed like he would keep like going on because it's like he, I, I. It's like he literally he was he was given like a week or like days to live or something and then and then yeah I don't know what like happened you know you just sort of get like distracted you get like busy it's like and um, and I would just keep like I would see his stuff he was posting on F- Mick before that was like posting on Facebook a lot and he and he c- continued to get into uh, international film festivals and like and yeah was like passing the movies and cartoons and things on onto us and just like continue to do things so you just sort of it's and then that last interview i did he said i don't know how long i'm gonna live like like six months whatever like i don't know my head's gonna fall off like that's just gonna you know he still had a sense of humor about yeah. about it too and so it just seemed like yeah we'll, we'll we'll get to do another thing or i'll get some more footage and stuff and you always think you have more time than you have i think uh and yeah then i just like heard and his family was in Buffalo. Yeah, his family was out in Buffalo, and they did their thing. And then, like, yeah, just recently that the um, Arts at the Armory, you know, tribute. I think there will also be in um, October of 2022. I think there will also be, like, around Columbus Day weekend or something. I think there might be another thing at that uh, Arts at the Armory with the family around, you know. But, uh, yeah, irreplaceable guy. That's what's sad about it, too. I was getting down about it today because it's, like, it's not just, like, he passed away. Like, obviously, that sucks. Um, And it's not like we, like, hung out all the time. But I always really appreciated, like you say, that scene that he cultivated and the the attitude, the positive attitude, and that whole, like, counterculture thing. And it... um, and just, like, the spirit that he had. He talked about, like, people who had, like, the rock and roll spirit, you know, and that, like, spirit. And so it's that fear of, like, is that, like, is that going away? Like, if he if he goes. And so, yeah, like you say, as far as us or, you know, other generations, all you can do is, like, yeah, to, to us, like, it's the guy that, you know, years from now will say, hey, there was this guy. And, you know, like, like we're doing now and and hopefully to, you know, inspire us and to inspire other people. And, like, how do you keep keep, keep that going, right? Because, like, who knows, you know, the odds of, like, will anybody be accepted into by the corporate, you know, overlords uh, into the, the Hollywood, you know, sphere or whatever it is. But uh, 
on borrowed time, you know, acting accordingly to just, you know, keep doing your thing. And, and yeah, like, why not have a, I mean, I think, you know, DL is people with, like, Make Me Famous. I mean, yeah, it's great, these people who became household names and stuff, but for for everybody else, you know, the everyman, it's, like, it's cool if you invite as many people, and our friend John Hartman kind of does, like, similar. I mean, you get a lot of people, you know, being in your movies, helping you in these movies, and it's, like, this party thing, and those are your fans. You know, that is your audience. You know, like, okay, it's, you know... And so, and those guys are the best ones really to appreciate it because I'm also a film fan, but I can also be a filmmaker, you know, like as are you. So you get like, if you can get creative people to be your fans and your audience too, well, those, you know, all, all the better really like, okay, you didn't, maybe you didn't reach, you know, uh, you know, um, like the normies, right? You're not in like the uh, suburban households all all over. You're not you're not Walt Disney. You're, sometimes you're a Frank Castle, and sometimes you're Mick Cusimano. But if like if you inspire an artist, they go on and make tributes about you, make fan art, right. carry carry your name and your idea. It's he is like Batman because when you talk about the yes. the idea, of your you can do more as a symbol, and Mick was a symbol to. Ross yeah. said to Bruce Wayne, he goes, you must become an idea. Yeah, and Mick was that, that idea of, like, yeah, it doesn't, to get rid of the perfectionism. It, it um, just, just to say that there's one more comic book connection for the audience, for mm-hmm. Mick, not just Batman. Yeah. But let us not forget the time that Mick blinded Superman. That's right, we forgot about, yeah, Christopher Reeve, I guess he just happened to be Real where it was. The story is Mick somehow found his way onto the set of Superman 2 back in the early 80s. And he's on the set, and he had a huge crush on Margot Kidder, the actor, actress mm-hmm. that played Lois Lane. And so Mick, being Mick, you know, he takes out his camera, and so Christopher Reeve, the guy who plays Superman and Margot Kidder, were like walking through a scene or something, and that's when Mick decides to snap his flash camera. <laughs> and the flash went off and, temp- and temporarily blinded Christopher Reeve, who tripped. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yeah, the fact that we don't. Yeah, the flash camera, the flash bulb. And that just seems like so Mick. <laughs> creating a creating a wacky surreal little scene where I Superman trips by the flash by the flashing bulb. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> Yeah, and then they like threw him off the set or whatever. It, didn't he say it was during uh, what was that scene where she like falls off Niagara Falls or it's the waterfall? Yeah, she falls off Niagara Falls. I think they shot it at Niagara Falls. That's where it was. Mick mm-hmm. was there, <laughs> and uh, so Mick factors into the, the DC universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just by becoming a symbol like Batman, but he's he's one of the few who blinded Superman. Yeah, I'm actually I'm I'm surprised he never made like his own uh, surreal um yeah, how did superhero. Never he never made like a surreal man. He never made like a superhero like say send off, right? Take off. Or even make a, even make one of his video skits about it. Like yeah. you know, have have Argus <laughs> or Marcus wrestle like Superman. But well, that was the thing. Own. That was the thing about Mick. I mean, he was definitely a storyteller and had the presence of mind to document his story, at least in writing. And 
but sometimes you really had to like pull things out of him where because he was a, a mo he was sort of a modest guy. That's what I like. He had this he had this like every man quality. It's like of course I did did this thing, and it's like dude, that's fucking uh, fantastic stuff you're talking about. You know, like um yeah. <laughs> so you know the lesson to be learned from Nick is is just what you said. You know, time is tight. You get up and do what you want. Uh, don't let, you know, try not to let the bullshit stop you. Maybe the corporate overlords aren't going to pluck you. You know, the gods may not be plucking right. you off. Plucked from the god, by the gods. As Rod would always say, you know, you're going to be plucked from the god. You know, the people who come to Hollywood thinking they're going to be plucked from the gods are going to be, have a rude awakening. You can't stop. You can't stop. Yeah. Uh, there's a buddy of mine, Gary, his name is Gary Rafat. He's a British man. He's a DP, director of photography. And he said to me the other day, He's like, he's making his own movie right now, boxing movie, like for almost no money. That looks phenomenal. And he, he goes to me the other day, he goes, Lawrence, no matter how down you get, or no matter how many, you know, maybe the opportunities aren't coming along as much as you want them to, he goes, never stop shooting. Mm -hmm. He goes, keep the, he goes, always keep the camera rolling. Mm hmm. He goes, whatever it is, he's like, you know, you create, he goes, keep creating, keep it up. And that was Mick. Mm -hmm. Kept it up, kept it up right, you know, he got the diagnosis that he was going to, that he had five months, did he sit around crying? No. Mm -hmm. He created until the end and even secured his legacy by sending his videos to his friends. Yeah, exactly. He so, said, yeah, I want people to see what I'm doing or what I've done, you know? So, yeah. And here we are doing a podcast about it, so. Yeah. You know, folks, it can be rough. The world can be a crazy place. <clears throat> I know how, it can, how hard it can be here in Hollywood. I'm out in Los Angeles right now. Mike is in Needham. <clears throat> and there are times I get down. But you you just got to keep going. You always got to regroup and stay true to your vision, even when the times get tough. And keep it up because that's how our buddy Mick would want it. If I could end it, Mike. One more, if I could just end, please, with that one line again for the monkey song. Is that cool? What was that? What about the other one, uh, Experimental oh, Film? I'll, I'll end with a line from Experiment, uh, <laughs> Experimental Film from They Might Be Giants. They, the line, They Might Be Giants had a song called Experimental Film. And that was my theme song for Mick. I actually played it for him back in the day. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So he goes, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a cool song, yeah. <laughs> you and Mick, because you, because I think that's a good consolation for us though too. Is like, is uh, maybe especially you at that time, but then me def definitely uh, when I last did the interview with them talking about like, hey man, you did like so many cool things and you always inspired us and you know yeah. just like we would gush to him. So it's not like there's necessarily things that were left unsaid. I mean, I wish I got. Other footage or, yeah, so. Here's the line from the experimental film. It goes, uh, goes, yeah, you're all, you're all going to be in my experimental film. And even though I can't explain it, <laughs> I already know how great it's gonna. And then it repeats, yeah, you're all, yeah, you're all going to be in my experimental film. And even though I can't explain it, I already know it's going to be great. And that was Mick. He always had it in his head that the thing he was doing was going to be, to his spec, to his liking, and part of that joy for him was that we were all going to be a part of it. 
we all had a part of it. He didn't do it in a vacuum. And uh, yeah, you know, I don't I, have any. I don't have any old shame, and I know you don't. I'm mm-hmm. so glad that we found this this crazy guy, and mm-hmm. got to be in some of his weird little films. And uh, if there's an afterlife, I hope he's doing all right. And if not, it was uh, it was quite the time. Let let us be as courageous with our with our projects. Yeah, yeah. Prolific. Yeah, I just remember him saying, like, yeah, if you didn't, uh, if you just make a movie, keep it under your bed, nobody will know you're a filmmaker. So he was always, remember, the other thing, um, he helped us edit one of the experimental festivals, the whole reel. And then the, yeah. uh, he was one of the, when I first got in touch with those, the TTNHD guys who would do, like, local film interviews and interviewed us, he, he was the only. Uh, other than us, like running the show, he was the only filmmaker who showed up early enough to get the get an interview, and just always had a mind to. wasn't necessarily trying to be famous like these, you know, influencers or whatever on social media today. It was about getting the message out. But he understood, like, hey, no one will know about it if I don't like talk about it and take an opportunity. And if you don't get them, like you say, you you just do your best and and make the opportunities, you know. Make your own luck. Yeah. So, so that's it. You know, we'll do another one on Mick at some point. I think I think there's more to say about Mick and maybe mm-hmm. a more coherent, uh, you know, a more uh, scholarly way. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I can make, like, uh, some bullet points and whatnot, but I think this yeah. is good to get it out. So, all right, Mike, close it out. Yeah, I would just say, uh, you know, check out Mick's site, mkusaman.tripod.com. And he's on, you know, YouTube, Mick Cusimano. And if if you don't know Mick, you know, you should check check his stuff out. And, and just if you take away anything from this show, it's like, yeah, what we say, just it's about the spirit of Mick and that idea. And that's that's the way that uh, he lives on. And that's 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 the way thing to keep keep getting passed on, you know, through the generations. And uh, we always, you know, there's a fantasy of you know, big time fame and fortune and stuff, but, you know, time being limited, sometimes it's just about getting together with your friends and being productive, making something that you can pass on, and if you can make people laugh and entertain people along the way, and uh, making memories, really, because uh, it's great that everything can be recorded and kind of, like, live in perpetuity online, but who knows how long that stuff will be around, some website goes down or whatever, so just... You know, get copies of it. It's nice. We can look at photos and things, but it's really about how people made us feel. And you know, Mick really, you know, made, uh, we really had a good time. And he just got a kick out of us, and we got a kick out of him. And I was just always expressed gratitude that he was like we were helping him, but really he was helping us because he was showing us the way to be. You know, uh, and really the way to live and. And lead by example, and that's the bigger idea too. And I think it's like, at the end of our lives, it's not, uh, you know, these little. It's sort of the overall, you know, thing that we did and the message. And and people won't always remember each little thing you said or did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And it's like that positivity, positivity, even in the face of as Kevin Smith would say, eventual unavoidable death. <laughs> it makes little sense to not at least try to uh, attain your dreams. And that's what Mick was trying to do. And 
and in trying, like they say, the journey, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And so Mick kind of kept like going on this journey, right? And it was a privilege to be a little part of that. And uh, yeah, even Mick takes some dips into the mainstream. I, I've yet to check out, um, I think he was an extra in the ca casino scene in American Hustle. I think with Christian Bale when it came here. And yeah, just to try things. Just uh, some things need to be uh, attempted and done just to see that they can be done. It's not always about, um, you know, money or, you know, status. And Mick was like this everyman kind of guy that he didn't seem to really, all at the end of the day, care about, like, fame and fortune, which... But it's like, that's the ironic part. It's like, that's what made him so, like, legendary, so, like, celebrated is, uh, like you say, it wasn't always about him. He was including everybody and just always grateful. And and we had a good time, you know. And if that, if that gets you remembered, you know, like, and that, great. You know, that was what was so memorable, memorable about him is that, like you say, that, that Cheshire grin, you know, and so it was just awesome to be a little part of it. And like you said, you were interested in because you you would always hear about these little scenes that would like bubble up and the, those Squaw Coffeehouse guys and also, um, you know, his buddy uh, Lee Kidd, I think, was also instrumental in doing the whole Squaw Coffeehouse thing in the movies too. And, and these guys that, you know, are kind of going away and so... Well, eventually we'll all go away. So if we can feel good and and get a message across at the same time, like that's awesome. So uh, well yeah. said, Mike. Yeah. And uh, what's the catchphrase of the podcast? <laughs> and as we say here, well, I wanted to end it. We could say, and if you're if you don't remember anything from this uh, show, always remember, don't spill the eggs. But don't al spill but the also eggs. But, but, but also. For uh, Experimental Yill, uh, I'm Michael O'Toole, of course, and for Lawrence Holly here, and for our buddy Mick Cusimano, the professor of surrealism. Oh. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's it'll either, either be 110 or I think 111, and uh, what is it, Octo uh, September uh, 15th, 2022. I will say, uh, always remember, uh, you know, take a negative, turn it into a positive, try to have a positive attitude, right? And it's all about the way you think about things. Or as Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so here we'll say, where there is an ill, yes. an experimentally ill, where there is an ill, there is a way. So... Be part of the experiment. Okay, thank God you said that because my OCD was going crazy. <laughs> right, here, right here on Experimentally Ill. And check out some more on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and of course, ExperimentallyIll.com. And the world. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Bye. Good night. Yes. Where there's an ill, there's a way. Be part of the experiment. <laughs> right here.
Software over in the office, one step faster. 